This is Blue Wire. What's up, Finn fans? Welcome to Fin It to Win It. I am Kyle Krabs, your host of Fin It to Win It. And today, we have a few things we need to unpack. I guess you could say we need to talk about the Xavier Howard contract extension. It's a doozy, but it's a winner for both sides. And I'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, also, rookie minicamp was this past weekend. OTAs are underway. We had our first day of OTAs yesterday on Monday, May 13th. So we need to talk about some of the storylines that we're hoping to find out before they put the pads on for training camp. So a lot to dig into today. Uh, if you're new to the show, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, if you're not familiar with myself, uh, I am a full-time NFL draft analyst at thedraftnetwork.com, but also, more importantly for you, I'm a diehard Dolphins fan, and I am the lead editor of USA Today's Dolphins Wire. So we're on the beat talking about the Dolphins every single day, uh, trying to keep up with this time of year, which is interesting because it's not the busiest, right? Like, in season, there's, there's a plethora of storylines that you could talk about on any given day. Right now, it's a little more calm, but the moves, especially for a team like Miami with the dynamics of you know, them flushing the entire uh, front office and coaching staff down the toilet and, and, and hitting reset altogether, uh, which they've done this offseason, and the, the ideologies that they're looking to implement, there's a lot more uh, context, I think, that, that you can kind of draw, and I think it ke- gives, gives you as listeners and, and Dolphins fans in general uh, something different. You know, the Dolphins have not had a full, full flush of the system in over 10 years. Last time they did so was the at the end of 2007 when they fired Randy Mueller and Cam Cameron after a 1-15 season. Uh, under the direction of Bill Parcells, and here we are, and it, it it literally took 11 years for us to embrace that sometimes you just have to start over, and uh, that's something else that I, I wrote about at Dolphins Wire, uh, and those comments were inspired by listening to uh, former Dolphins linebacker uh, Channing Crowder, who participated over the weekend at uh Vernon Carey's uh, charity golf event, and he spoke specifically uh, about why a reset is important, what it accomplishes, and why it's so different than what you've seen with Miami. Here's what Crowder had to say. He said, you almost have to hire people in a hierarchy where they can hire people underneath of them so it can be a real pyramid of the same goal, the same thought process of what success looks like. When you start knocking people off the pyramid and then you're hiring other people or there's someone over you that you don't really agree with, and I think that's happened a lot in the past, even from when I played. So Channing played uh, 05 through 2010. So he was here for Randy Mueller and Jeff Ireland as GMs. He was here for Nick Saban, 05-06. Cam Cameron 07, and then Tony Sperano 08 through 2010, which was the last year that Channing played. So yeah, uh, Channing's seen a lot of this mess for himself, and uh, he was a part of a full reset. So I think from a player's perspective, he probably appreciates just as much as anybody uh, the value of resetting the deck. You know, if you feel like you're close, 
there's no need to flush everyone down the toilet and continuity can can be helpful for you but the Dolphins have never really been close they've been a team that's looked to slap band-aids on holes on the roster and, and look the other way for uh, conflicts within the front office so uh, acknowledging that you're kind of in an imperfect place and that the best thing for you might be to start over uh, I think is very very helpful but enough about that and why this offseason has been interesting for Dolphins fans. Let's talk about some things that are of interest. Most specifically, I want to talk about the Xavier Howard contract because I think there's some clarity that's needed here. Uh, when the deal was first announced for the Dolphins, uh, it kind of raised some eyebrows, right? It's five-year extension worth a maximum of $76 million dollars. And uh, this this deal was signed on the dotted line yesterday before day one of OTAs by Xavier Howard and the Dolphins. Uh, very large number, right, for a guy who's had a couple knee issues, uh, but at the same time has developed into one of the best ball-hawking cornerbacks in the entire NFL. So how do you value and weigh that risk and reward if you're the Dolphins? Well, the way you do it, is you give Howard the opportunity to have earning potential that's through the roof while also protecting yourself. And anytime that you look at an NFL contract, you can't just look at years and dollars. You have to look at guaranteed dollars and the distribution of those guaranteed dollars. So the way that the Dolphins have protected themselves and the reason why this is a winning contract for both sides is because it's in all honesty, it's a three-year extension with several years of team options beyond that. Uh, the Dolphins have structured this deal where he got like a $7 million roster bonus this year. Uh, his signing bonus is prorated throughout the, the first, I think, four years of the deal. Uh, there's some guaranteed salary involved, some workout bonuses, but at the end of the day, after the 2021 season, which is the halfway point of this new contract, the Dolphins can part ways with Howard either via trade or by cutting him, and they would only incur a $2.8 million cap penalty, despite the fact that they gave him $46 million in guaranteed money. So that tells you that the Dolphins, the Dolphins front-ended the hell out of this contract. They're going to put all the guaranteed money in 2019, 2020, and 2021. And heaven forbid there's, there's these knee issues arise, this level of play is not sustained at what we're seeing right now as one of the best ball hawking corners in all of football. The Dolphins can walk away after three years and minimize their sunk cost instead of pay, continuing to pay 10 plus million dollars a year to Xavier Howard. Now, if he's on the if he's on the roster, yeah, he's got a base salary that's, you know, 10, between 10 and 12 million dollars a year. But that's fine because if he's still on the roster beyond 2021, that means he's playing to the potential that we've seen from him thus far, which is 11 interceptions in his last 2 years. So if Howard stays healthy and he sustains his level of play, nobody's going to be complaining. Nobody's going to look to take away the rest of that contract from him. But the Dolphins protected themselves because Howard is a guy that's had two knee issues in three years now in the NFL. He missed some time as a rookie because of a knee issue, and he missed the last four games of last year because of a knee issue. So I think that this, this really highlights how 
the Dolphins were able to set this contract and give Howard what he wanted, but also protect themselves in the long haul, which is, I think, something that's easy to overlook but should not be overlooked. The other thing about this contract that does deserve some acknowledgement, one of our staff writers at Dolphins Wire, uh, Brett, wrote an article about this. Uh, The message this sends to the locker room. Uh, What message does a Xavier Howard contract extension where he gets absolutely paid send to the rest of the locker room? Well, the message that it sends is that if you buy in to what we are doing, if you believe in what we are doing, and you play ball with us, we're going to play ball with you. So what do I mean by play ball? The Dolphins have talked openly about how they've wanted to get some kind of contract extension done with Xavier Howard for four months now. And they finally got it done right at the, the eve of OTAs. And Howard, for his part, came into the building. He took place in the April workouts, despite the fact that he wasn't on a new contract, wanted a new contract, and knew the Dolphins wanted to get him a new contract. So he showed a little bit of good faith in the Dolphins by not working out by himself or or holding out or anything like that. He was a consummate professional throughout this process. He's produced on the football field. He's a drafted talent by Miami. They know him intimately. You want to retain your drafted talent. So guys like Laramie Tunsil and Kenyon Drake, they're looking at this deal and they're saying, if I buy in two, If I ball out, I'm going to get paid. And I think Tunsil's going to be a no-brainer. I just don't think we'll see Tunsil done before at the earliest this time next year because he is on the last year of his uh, four-year rookie contract and the team still has to exercise that fifth-year option uh, with Laramie Tunsil for 2020. Now, you may see something similar to what the Dolphins did with Devontae Parker, But instead of writing Parker into a pay cut, you would see them write Tunsil into a very large pay raise. So that's something to probably shelf for the next 10, 11 months, uh, a Tunsil extension. But if he plays this year the way he played last year, Miami would be super smart to get him on the book sooner rather than later because you don't want to run the risk of letting him hit the open market or having the franchise tag him and extending this process longer than it is because the longer you wait, the more you're going to have to pay him. So for me, Miami, you get to next March and I'm exercising that player, that fifth-year option, and I'm immediately beginning to negotiate a contract because I do not want him being somebody that teams can bid on and make open season down the road. I want to get him locked in now and set the market instead of paying whatever market price dictates uh, is a premium cost for him. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you guys about today's sponsor, ShipStation. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. It's time-consuming and expensive, and there's a lot of carriers to choose from, so how do you know you're making the best choice? ShipStation's the answer. It's the fastest easiest and most affordable way to manage and ship your online orders. ShipStation helps you get your orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. No matter what you're selling, whether it's Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, 
ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. And right now, uh, Fin It to Win It listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use the promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card information. ShipStation works for all major carriers, including the U.S. Postal Service, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Fulfillment, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice for online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com and enter the promo code B-L-U-E, BLUE, ShipStation.com, make ship happen. As we move on and we look forward, storylines for OTAs was the other thing that I had promised you guys today to talk about. And we have to start, right? Like, there's nowhere else you can start with OTAs than talking about the quarterback dynamics of this roster right now between Fitzmagic and Chosen Rosen, right? It's, that's the only place you can start because, listen, the offensive line is going to be a huge area of in- interest for me going forward this summer, this preseason, into the regular season. We're not going to get any answers until they put pads on. That's just the nature of the beast with offensive linemen. You can put guys through drills. You can give guys reps. Guys will look really pretty when they're working on air. But when you put the pads on, that's when you're going to figure out who your five best guys are. We're not going to have those answers for now. Unfortunately, the team's probably also going to be pretty conservative with Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant. These two guys, when we last saw the Dolphins in April on the field doing some workouts and conditioning, they either weren't there or they were off on the side. Both of these guys, Miami's two most explosive weapons, arguably, in the passing game, uh, Ended last season on injured reserve, and they've been rehabbing their injuries uh, even into April. So uh, while we're hoping that these guys are 100%, I would not be surprised if the team handles these guys with kid gloves because they will be guys that are essential weapons going forward as the team looks uh, to evaluate Josh Rosen. And that brings us back to my initial point and point of interest for the Dolphins and OTAs, Chosen Rosen or Fitzmagic. Um, Listen, Brian Flores had come on the record and stated openly that uh, if we were to see Ryan Fitzpatrick dominate the quarterback competition, be the best quarterback throughout the summer, training camp, preseason, and into the regular season, and he goes wire to wire, that's fine. And his argument for that is because They get their hands on Josh Rosen every single day, so their ability to evaluate Josh Rosen uh, is much more enhanced than ours as outside influences and sources because we have to rely on public practices and game tape to evaluate Josh Rosen. Well, the team can evaluate him every day in practice, and I would say this, if Josh Rosen does not win the quarterback competition, it will tell you everything you need to know about Josh Rosen's viability as a potential franchise quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. My expectation is Rosen's a starter week one. Rosen, health willing, goes the wire. And I think Rosen will surprise uh, a lot of folks. My expectation is the Miami Dolphins have a quarterback 
in Josh Rosen. I went back and I watched several games of Rosen at UCLA. Uh, taking some notes, I watched Arizona State. Uh, I watched Memphis. I watched USC. And in studying those games, there's those handful of plays every game, as you could with any young quarterback, let's be honest, uh, where he's trying to do too much and he's getting greedy and uh, he's he's pressing to play hero ball a little bit too much. That was actually something I had the opportunity to be live at the Liberty Bowl for the game that they played against Memphis. And Rosen like lit the place up and ended up being a track meet. Ton of points scored in this game. One of the most high-scoring games I've ever had the opportunity to be at scouting live in person. And after that game, Rosen threw um, an interception at the end of the game, uh, which ended up costing UCLA a chance to win the football game. They lost on the road to Memphis. And Rosen talked about trying to do too much and not just taking what was available. But when you watch Rosen play at the college level, you saw a guy who thrived with next-level thought process, next-level thinking, uh, next-level control of the line of scrimmage, and he really excelled in throwing the ball down the field, into the middle of the field, and with timing. Where Rosen got into trouble was there were some off-script plays where uh, he's not quite as mobile as I think he thought he was, and he kind of got caught and trapped, and, and then he had to get rid of the ball late. But because of the angles he was taking to try and extend plays, uh, he left a lot of the field between where his release point was and trying to get rid of the football. So uh, he did put the ball in harm's way a few times in those instances. And when he was trying to catch rock and shoot immediately, kind of catch out of the gun, immediately turn to the flats and, and, and spin a ball maybe without the laces, uh, there were some accuracy issues in those areas for Josh. But I think a lot of that comes with my, uh, maturity, added maturity, and I think a lot of that comes with... Uh, maybe slowing down your process into the flats a little bit. I think UCLA's offensive system tipped off a lot of those plays, and you had defensive backs that were really aggressive charging up on the flats uh, because they were telegraphing when they were looking to get uh, the quick game going to the outside. You compare and contrast that with Arizona, and Rosen is a guy that can make pass rushers miss within the pocket, but you need to afford him the space in front of him to climb. Uh, he will make a rusher off the edge miss, but if you have interior pressure getting into his face with consistency, he's not the kind of mobile quarterback that's going to be able to duck out of those situations and really make a guy miss. And you saw a lot more of that at Arizona versus what you saw at the college level at UCLA when he had the opportunity to climb up into the pocket, slide late within the pocket, and then throw the ball down the field in kind of murky waters, if you will. Uh, Arizona, a ton of interior pressure. So you can't extrapolate too much from a bad offensive system into a, a very poor supporting cast 
uh, I had somebody refer me to two notes regarding Josh Rosen. And I think that they're really important context votes uh, or, or notes on him. Uh, Rosen was pressured in less than two and a half seconds on 27% of his dropbacks. Uh, that figure ranks in the top 10 uh, since 2004 as far as the highest percentage of quick pressures on your dropbacks. One out of over one out of every four dropbacks that Rosen took, he was pressured in less than two and a half seconds. And the Arizona Cardinals last year generated open throws at a rate of 10% less than the NFL average. So what does that mean? Open throws. How much separation do his pass targets have uh, when they are targeted and, and they're receiving the football in a throw? So Rosen's pressured in over one out of every four snaps, and his receivers are getting, quote-unquote, open 10% less than the NFL average. Think about that. Think about those conditions. Think about an offensive coordinator getting fired midseason. Think about how bad it was in Arizona that the Cardinals brought in Steve Wilkes and immediately fired him after one year and fired their offensive coordinator in an even shorter time than that. With the personnel issues that resulted in nobody being open and nobody being able to pass block for two and a half seconds. How can you possibly sit here and crucify or criticize or write off Josh Rosen as a quarterback when those were the playing conditions that he had? And that's why for me, it was important to watch those games and see that for myself, but it was also important to go back and watch college Josh Rosen because that was the player that prompted being drafted 10th overall. And that's the player that I think he can be. And I don't think Josh was so overexposed that he's been broken, if you will. I think we've seen some quarterbacks that have come into the league and they've really, you know, been put into bad situations early and it it wrecks them. It ruins them. Think about David Carr with the Houston Texans and everything that he was exposed to. You could argue to a certain degree uh, that's applicable to Ryan Tannehill for the amount of sacks that he took in the first four years of his career and, and the constant pounding that he took and the inability to keep him upright that the Dolphins really struggle with uh, for his first three or four seasons as a pro quarterback uh, really led to a lot of the poor habits that we saw from Ryan Tannehill being gun-shy within the pocket, not wanting to hold the ball, not being willing to take risks with the football as he's looking to throw down the field amongst pressure. Um. I don't think Rosen's situation is that gloom and doom at this point. If the Dolphins can't protect him, then we'll need to start worrying because uh, that will probably translate to a lot of issues on the field. That's not to say the Dolphins need to be perfect in pass protection. Uh, Josh is a player who has, like I said, some mobility within the pocket to make a arriving defender off the edge miss. So, Laramie Tunsil's on one side. We know that's taken care of. I feel good about Michael Dieter. The team apparently feels good about Jesse Davis. So that's three spots working from left to right. Daniel Kilgore or Chris Reed is going to have to win the starting center job. Whoever is the better pass blocker is the guy that gets my vote. 
And then on the right tackle side, you're going to have Jordan Mills. Okay, Isaiah Prince, a lot of promising tools, is nowhere near ready to get on the field as an NFL offensive tackle, as a starter. He's not there. Watch him at Ohio State. And Zach Sterup is probably worse off than Isaiah Prince is. So for me, it's a no-brainer that your offensive tackle duo is going to be Laramie Tunsil and Jordan Mills. If Jordan Mills gives up constant pressure off the edge, which you know Buffalo fans, based on their reaction to the Dolphins signing Mills in, in free agency, uh, are expecting a lot of quick pressure, that's okay. But you can't have three guys that are leaking pre- uh, pass pressures in less than two and a half seconds. And I do think the Dolphins are actually better off than Arizona in that regard. I also think the Dolphins are better off than Arizona with uh, what they can bring to the table with pass catchers. Um, Arizona obviously had David Johnson, uh, but David Johnson was uh, frustratingly underutilized at Arizona this past year versus what you know his potential is. So Dolphins having a pass catcher, pass catching potential in Kenyon Drake. Dolphins having... um, Kalen Balaj was actually considered to move inside to a slot receiver coming out of college uh, because there were some questions about his vision and his ability to process things behind the line of scrimmage. Well, uh, they like him a lot. I know that for a fact. So I think he's going to stay at running back and he may push uh, Kenyon Drake, who's in a contract year, pretty hard. But both of those guys are capable of catching the football. Uh, David Johnson last year uh, rushed for 3.6 yards per carry, had no room to run, uh, and had 50 receptions for 446 yards and three touchdowns. Um, But the year before Johnson got hurt in week one, he had 80 receptions for 879 yards and four touchdowns. So uh, Arizona left a little bit of meat on the bone with how they utilized him in the passing game. Uh, I think the Dolphins don't have a single physical talent to the degree of David Johnson, but I think their pass-catching viability out of the backfield uh, is perfectly fine between Drake and Kalen Balazs. And then you look at wide receiver. If we're healthy, you've got Kenny Stills, uh, who at this point I would take over anybody Arizona had last year. Uh, even Larry Fitzgerald, who's kind of done a, a he's done a really nice job. Don't get me wrong, as far as evolving his skill set as he's aged, but he is a big slot now, and I think Kenny Stills uh, gives you much more of a down the field dynamic. I think he's more potent on the outside and uh, can still run for the the vertical uh, portions of the field and those those routes that Josh threw so well at UCLA. Uh, Christian Kirk was hurt for them last year, so that really took a lot of the wind out of their sails there as well. Uh, Their starting tight end was Ricky Seals-Jones, who was an undrafted free agent wide receiver coming out of Texas A&M that ran like 4'8", so they bulked him up to play tight end. Um, So Miami having Kenny Stills, Miami having Albert Wilson, who was leading the, the NFL in yards after catch before he got hurt last year. Uh, Devontae Parker, I think, has some sneaky low upside, although I'm still not buying in. 
Uh, I'm never going to be a guy that gives Devontae the benefit of the doubt because he hasn't earned it at this point with how inconsistent he's been. But hopefully having Adam Gase move on and and getting Parker and Kenyon Drake, both of those guys, kind of a fresh start with a coach that's not automatically going to put them in the doghouse, uh, hopefully that produces some results for Miami because it would be a huge boom to get some production out of Devontae Parker, who's very physically talented, uh, but we don't know what he's got because he can't play with consistency because his preparation habits are bad or because he can't get along with the coaches or whatever the issues were, the hamstrings. Uh, I think Miami's got better potential in their skill set than what Arizona had last year. Now, I like a lot of what Arizona did in their draft this year, uh, so that would be an interesting conversation to talk about. But Arizona also chose not to address the offensive line at all. They're just going to go with a mobile quarterback and assume that solves the problem. Uh, Dolphins drafting Michael Dieter, signing Chris Reed. Uh, I think there's enough talent infusion here where they've got enough options that they can get some stability, and then it's just hoping that they stay healthy and and hoping that the depth behind them is enough until they continue to build out this offensive line. But uh, that's kind of my expectation for setting the table for Josh Rosen. Uh, OTAs, how quickly can he assert himself and and look to press into that starting role. Can he kind of commandeer early reps because it's clear that he's the superior physical talent? Can he uh, pick up this playbook quickly? And, and by all accounts, he's one of the smartest quarterback prospects we've seen in the last few years. And, and hopefully uh, he's continuing to do as good of a job as, of, of working through that playbook as, as early reports have suggested that he is. If that's the case, then Rosen's going to wrestle this job away from Ryan Fitzpatrick, and and he needs to because the Dolphins need to make sure they have what I think they have in a potential franchise quarterback. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode of Fin It to Win It, uh, brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. Make sure you guys uh, check out some other pods that Blue Wire has. That they're growing at a pretty impressive rate. They're bringing some guys in that I've got a, a ton of respect for. Uh, Ted Nguyen's got a, a podcast. Uh, Brandon Thorne's got an offensive line podcast. Jordan Reed's got an NFL draft podcast. So uh, if you are football junkies, Blue Wire's got a lot that they can bring to the table for you. Make sure you check out the rest of their podcast slate. And hit subscribe. Come on back to Fin It to Win It. We're going to be back again next week, uh, hopefully breaking down some more of OTAs. Look at some other talking points as news arises throughout the course of the week. Kyle Krabs at Grinding the Tape on Twitter. Swing over to Dolphins Wire and uh, make sure you're catching up with all of your daily Dolphins news as well to keep you filled in between these episodes of Fin It to Win. It.